If you have your Bible, and I hope you do, I want you to go to John chapter 17 with me this morning. John chapter 17, we're going to continue in John's gospel. John chapter 17, which is the high priestly prayer of Jesus. I'm going to be looking at verses 14 to 17. If you'll allow me to read these for you, because I want you to hear how Jesus prays for us, for the disciples. And indeed for us, he prayed this prayer over 2,000 years ago as he was walking with his disciples through the Credron Valley and he prayed this with them as he's on his way to Calvary and here's what he says. He says to his father, for the benefit of his listeners, the disciples, and for you and I, I have given them, in verse 14, your word. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Here's his request. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Then he restates himself. He says, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And then he says this amazing verse in verse 17, sanctify them. In the truth, and then he tells you what he means, your word is truth. Richard Phillips writes in his commentary on this passage, from time to time I hear a question that is frequently asked of pastors today. What is your vision for the church? Having a vision now is a popular thing. You've got to have a vision. You've got to have a plan. We live in a world of plans and visions. Philip says, I do not mean to degenerate this question because it can be helpful for a congregation to think through its particular sense of identity and its mission. Yet, he does say, it must be emphasized that there is a far more important question than what is our vision. Are you ready for it? What is Christ's vision for his church? Now, however we may think of our church here at Calvary or the churches we're trying to see planted, we all have to acknowledge that the church belongs to Jesus. And having been bought by his blood and therefore his vision, his view of his bride, the church, must be our primary vision. And it is true, we may learn of Christ's vision for his church in a number of places, One could be the seven churches of Asia, written in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3. But without a doubt, perhaps the best place to get a vision of the church from Jesus Christ himself is to look no further than John 17. Now, I have asked you as my home church, my family, a question over and over again. And the older I get, especially as someone that was raised in the church... I was not only raised when my parents uh, had me, I was brought into an Anglican world. And then when I was five years old, my parents uh, came to Jesus Christ and they brought me into a Baptist world. So I've been in a church world since the day I was born. But the older I get, the more I feel that we need to ask ourselves this question. And that is this, what do we truly and honestly believe about God, about Jesus, and about the Holy Spirit. What do we believe about life? In other words, 
Can I ask you this morning for a few minutes to be honest and say, what is your, our world view? And every one of you is wrestling with these questions, especially some of you that are younger and some of you that are older. It is true when we get in the middle, we often drown out these questions, but we all wrestle with them. Things like, why am I here? What is my purpose and the meaning for living? What is the sum total of my life? It's as old as Babylon. If you read about king in Babylon under Daniel and he wrote, God writes across the wall, eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. And then he says, you have been found and weighed and found wanting. For others, the motto of life in general is this, I'll try to be a good person. Still others believe that we are nothing more than animals. We're simply the top of a food chain, driven by our base instincts. So we live for whatever brings me pleasure, whatever brings me meaning, whatever brings me happiness. By the way, as I define it. But what about us here in the church? What about us here in this church? Can I boil it down to even, why are you even here today? What are we clinging to and why? What are we looking for? I had John Troke read 1 Peter chapter 1 for us. And if you notice one word that came up several times in that chapter was the word holy. Holy. Now before I remind us of all the greater context of John, right now I want you to think about that word holy and what it means. What does it mean when you and I say God is holy in the passage? Peter said, God is holy, so be ye holy as I am holy. Especially when we consider that Peter tells a group of Christians, a church, to act this way. And let, us, let me remind you that in John chapter 17, in verses 1 to 5, Jesus prays about himself and about his relationship with God the Father. He does this for the benefit of his disciples who are there and for you and I today. Then in verses 6 to 19, he prays specifically for the disciples. And we can learn so much from that, and we're going to do that today. But I can't wait to get to verses 20 to 26, when Jesus actually prays for and over us. In fact, my favorite verse in the Bible is John 17, 20. Because he prays over thus us who will believe as a result of the answered and continued prayer of Jesus for his disciples. Now, I don't want you to miss this all-important point because I think as a culture, as Christians, as a church, we need to be reminded of this more now than maybe in, in the history of the church age or at least especially in Canada and United States. Are you ready? Here's what I want you to take with you today. Jesus prayed in John 17, but Jesus is praying right now. He is praying. I want you to look at verses 6 to 13. Look at that again. He says, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. There's that theme again. He says, yours they were and you gave them to me and they have kept your word. And he goes on from there. He prays actually that you and I can have gospel knowledge. Then he wants us to have gospel security. And then he wants us to have gospel unity. I think it's timely because we are in a pandemic in Canada and the U.S. of our churches where we lack gospel knowledge, we lack gospel security, and we certainly lack gospel unity. 
But I want you to notice Jesus then prays for this knowledge and security and unity to have an effect. And two weeks ago, we saw that when we trust God's word and we rest in the promises of God, we live out that unity of the gospel and we're going to have joy. That's the first mark of a church. It's joy, real joy, wonderful joy. But for today, the next thing that Jesus prays for is our holiness. Sanctify them. In your truth, your word is truth. John writes this for us to know that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. This is what he says in John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. Jesus says that once and if we believe that we will have life in his name. So what does that mean? So this whole gospel of John is written to convince people who Jesus is. And naturally, it must be about people. So the whole gospel is written not only about people, but it's about people meeting and talking and responding to Jesus. And by the time you come to John chapter 13 to 16, in the longest recorded conversation of Christ with anyone or group in all the Bible, remember what happens, Jesus loves on and he teaches and he prepares and he answers questions and he instructs the disciples about what is about to happen. He's only 12 to 16 hours away from dying days away from being resurrected, and just over a month away from ascending back to God in glory. But he also tells them about his betrayal, that Judas will betray him. He tells them about his leaving. He tells them about the Holy Spirit coming to comfort and teach and guide them. But along the way, he tells them that while he'll be with them, the world will hate them. But notice at the end of chapter 16, look at what he says. Behold, in verse 32, the hour is coming, indeed has come, what? When you will be scattered, each to his own house, and will leave me alone. He not only has told them about Judas's betrayal, but he's basically saying, you're not going to stand by me. But watch this. Then he says, yet I am not alone. Why? Because the Father is with me. And I have said these things to you that you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, he says, I have overcome the world. And this is what he wants us to see. So when you come to verses 14 to 17 of chapter 17, with the words of Peter that John just read still in our hearts and mind, Jesus prays for us to be holy. And I want to submit to you this morning that holiness is not a list of do's and don'ts. Holiness is a state of being. He wants us to be, are you ready for this? If you're writing something down, write the word holy, write an arrow, and then write this word, saint. You don't have to wait till you die to be a saint. If you are a Christian, then you're already a saint. You have been set apart for God. You are holy. One of my favorite verses to read at funerals of Christians is Psalm 116. Precious in the sight of the Lord are the death of his saints. I don't have to live a good life and hopefully be sainted one day. No, I'm already a saint. You are looking at Saint Stephen. <laughs> Amen. 
All right? That's who you're looking at. When you're a Christian, you are a saint. You are a son and a daughter of God, but you're a saint. He prays for us as his sons and daughters. We are his family. We've been set apart. Now look at our passage again. Look at what he says. He writes and he says, I have given them your word. And they are out of the world. The world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I'm not of the world. And then this is his request. By the way, it's his second request. Out of all the words of John 17, the second request is, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world. I'm asking you to keep them in the world. But here's what I'm asking you. Protect them from the evil one. The world will hate us. Why? Because we're not of this world. Jesus specifically asked God not to take us out of this world, but rather to protect us. And who's the evil one that he's talking about? Well, it's Satan. Satan is the master liar. He's the great deceiver. Satan is the one who wants nothing more than to destroy anything created by God and destroy anyone created in the image of God. But if you look at verses 16 and 17, Jesus says the reason for this is that we are to be like him, not of this world. And the protection will happen through sanctification. That is, through his word. So we got to ask ourselves this then. What does it mean to be holy? J.M. Boyce says, Holiness is the characteristic of God most mentioned in the pages of the word of God. And is therefore, rightly so, that which should characterize God's church. We are to be a holy people, 1 Peter 2.9. We are to follow after holiness in Hebrews 12.14. Jesus then speaks in praise of this characteristic by praying in his second petition, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world. Sanctify them. So what is holiness? I love how all the commentators say this. Some people have identified holiness with the cultural determined behavior pattern. So we have a list of do's and don'ts. So we say those that are holy are those people that don't gamble or smoke or drink or play cards or go to movies or do a large number of such things. And I'm sorry, but that is the history of Newfoundland and Labrador. Someone is a Christian based on what they don't do. But is that really what holiness is? Actually, although it may be the case that holiness in a particular Christian may result in that Christian's abstinence or not doing one or more of these things, the essence of holiness is not found there. Because too many of us think, if I don't do these things, ipso facto, I become holy. Consequently, to insist on such things for the church is not to promote holiness at all, but rather to promote legalism and hypocrisy. In some extreme forms, it may even promote a false Christianity according to which men and women actually think they can justify themselves before God on the basis of some ethical behavior. Now stick with me. The biblical idea of holiness becomes clear when we consider words that are synonyms for it in the English language. And that's why I called you a saint. Because the synonym of holiness in our English is saint or sanctify which is used in verse 17. So what is a saint? A saint is not a person who's achieved a certain level of goodness, but rather the one who's been set apart to himself by God. 
It follows this form then that the Bible, that in the Bible, the word is therefore not restricted to a special class of Christians, still less a class that is established by the official action of a denomination. Rather, the word is used of Christians as a particularly clear from God, Paul's use of the word. And he says, saints are called out ones that make up God's church. That's why John says of Jesus, I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. Do you think that Jesus was holy because he went to the cross? (laughs) Made Made you think, didn't I? Did Jesus become holy because he went to the cross? No. Jesus was holy, thus he could go to the cross. It's who he is. So you and I don't become holy by not doing certain things and do doing certain things. We are holy because Jesus Christ lived for us, died for us, rose again for us, ascended for us, is praying for us, and has saved us and declares us to be holy. Amen? And because of that, now we can choose to live a life that reflects our Father. So you don't have to impress him. He's already impressed with you because he loves you. Too many of us are trying to impress God. And you've heard me say it before. And the only thing when you try to impress God, the only answer you're going to get is that Sinai Twain song, that don't impress me much. When you rather live in the fact that he has delighted in you and he delights over you and he has given you his forgiveness and he's lavished on you his perfection and he's declared you his son or daughter and he's made you a saint before him and now he says because I love you respond to that love you don't have to earn it you don't even have to keep it you get to enjoy it And I promise you, looking at your life through the lens of the love and mercy and grace of Jesus will do more to change how you think, talk, and live than coming up with a quantified list of do's and don'ts to try and trick yourself into thinking you can impress God or make God happy with you. God loves you. Do you think that Debbie would be impressed if I said to her, I don't cheat on you, so you will always love me. That sounds like she'd think I love her, doesn't it? No, I, I, I don't cheat on Debbie because I delight in her because of who she is. If I always tell Debbie I'm obligated not to cheat on you so I don't cheat on you, do you think she feels loved? Yeah, one brave man was brave enough to laugh that out loud. Amen. Way to go, Abe. <laughs> Right? This is this, what we have to think about. Instead, it means that he, Jesus, separated himself to a special task. The task of providing salvation for all men by his death. If holiness is to be understood at all, it must be understood in this framework. So with that in mind, I want to give us three realities very quickly that we can take from this passage. I want us to take from us that we've got to ask ourselves and we've got to pray about in the coming days and weeks ahead. For we, for are we... Going to be holy, that is, saints who trust, rest, and live out this amazing prayer of Jesus. So if you're taking notes, first of all, if we apply this prayer, we will be saints. We will be holy ones who know and trust God's word. 
We need to be those who know and trust God's word. Look at verse 14 again. I have given them your word. One man writes, Jesus knew firsthand the hatred of the world, and he specifically called his disciples that they would too. Remember what he said back in chapter 15, verse 19? He says, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Why? Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my word, they will also keep yours. You see, Calvary Baptists, we need to understand, we have been chosen by God to come out of the world and to be his saints. We've been set apart by him to be like him and to be his witnesses. So, why do we go to the regatta? Why did we go downtown? Why did we bring that Cuban band down? Why did we do what we did and Caesar did what he did? It's not because we were going into the world or to be like the world. We wanted to show the world that we understand the beauty of culture and we understand the beauty of music. But we also wanted them to know, but we are not of this world. One of the beautiful things that Caesar said downtown, right, was when he did the clap. And I, you know, there's some Latinos here now, so I don't even dare do the clap because I'm going to get the clap wrong. All right? But say somebody that knows Spanish, where's Curtis at? Is he here? Is Curtis here? Yeah, yeah, clave. There you go. There you go. There it is. All right? And what did he say? He said, you can't. No, no, easy. Uh, All right? Now, he said, remember what he said? You can't have Cuban music without that beat. And then he said, and you can't know Jesus apart from the beat of life. And the beat of life is Jesus Christ himself. See, we're in the world, but we're not of the world. Now, some people will love that, and some people will hate it and reject it. And let me tell you why. God has told the world not to love the world or its systems. In 1 John chapter 2, John said, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And Jesus prays this prayer because he's about to go and pay for our sin. And when we're saved, God not only forgives us, but he credits us with the righteousness of Jesus too. So God gives and Christ knows we now have the capacity to love. Yet here's the big question for us all there today. Who or what will we love? Because we are going to love either God or the world. We will love his word or we will love the word of the world. And if you and I want to be saints to live in communion with God and the people of God, we've got to know and understand his word and will. That's why Paul told the Romans to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I read this week, the majority of professing Christians are biblically illiterate. You can ask people who claim they're Christians basic theological questions, and they can't answer them correctly. They couldn't tell you what the Bible has to say about some of the most pressing moral issues of our day. The church simply does not have time for frivolous Toy Story-themed sermons that fail to explain Scripture and preach the gospel. The main purpose of the church is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, not to make church services so distractingly entertaining that non-Christians will want to attend simply because it's a free show. And while outreach and evangelism matters, sensitivity to the seeker at the expense of biblical exegesis is not only sinful, it's counterproductive. 
So sermons can be dynamic. I'm trying to give you my best passion this morning. Music can be beautiful that we heard Amanda and Chanel and David sing and the band play. But the sanctuary can be aesthetically pleasing and we are blessed to have one. And creativity can be used for the glory of God. But putting God in the background just to fill seats will never work. Jesus prayed because his aroma is sweet enough, his gospel is powerful enough, his spirit is pervasive enough, and the same cross that repelled the proud and compelled the humble 2,000 years ago still will do that today. So rather, we are to speak the truth in love. We're to grow up in every way into the head of him. J.C. Ryle put it so well. He said, look at the cross. Ready for this? Look at the cross. Think of the cross. Meditate on the cross. And then go and see if you can set your affections on the things of this world. But the problem is too many Christians, we don't look at the cross. We don't think of the cross. And we don't meditate on the cross. And then we wonder, why does the world look so attractive? And so what does Jesus pray? Look at verse 15. He says, I don't pray that you'll take them out of the world, but that you'll protect them from the evil one. So how should you and I respond to this prayer? Are you ready for this? It's pretty simple. I've been studying this all week to give you this. Love God and love Christ. We must love, read, and trust his word. Because here's the problem, Calvary, what's happening in our world today. We got a new gospel in town now. There's a new gospel here. The new gospel is leave nothing, change nothing, be authentic, but just claim Jesus. That's the new gospel. And I would submit to you, as I heard one pastor say, if you leave nothing and you've changed nothing and you're still authentic to your old self, but you simply claim Jesus, then you're claiming him, but you're not following him. Because if you follow this Jesus that prayed this prayer, then you will leave something. If you follow this Jesus, you will change something. If you follow this Jesus, your old authentic self will change because Jesus is an amazing Savior. And he's not only an amazing Savior, he's an amazing Lord. But we don't just hate the world because it has nothing to offer. We're not supposed to be self-righteous and condescending. We understand that the temptations are too real, aren't they? No, we hate the world's view of life and meaning because we now have a love and affection that comes from God, for God and his word always leads us back to him over and over again. That's why Jesus cried out to the people, come to me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. It's not that the world doesn't have a good song to sing. They do. Live for yourself. Live for your true self. Love is love. Find happiness, your happiness. But the problem is, is that there's no golden pot at the end of any of those rainbows. But Jesus says, come to me, all you that labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus will give you a love that is truly guilt-free. Jesus gives you a love in which there's no shame. Jesus gives you a love in which there's no regrets. Jesus gives you a love in which you will never be disappointed. Jesus gives you a love that, that the world can't comprehend. Satan wants to destroy us. Jesus told Peter in Luke 22 that Satan wants to sift him like wheat. But Jesus says, I've prayed for you. Does that not sound familiar? How does and is the current world doing for us all? 
How anxious and tired are we as a people? How much has all this technology that you and I have today solved all of our problems? I would submit to you that we live in the most comfortable, technologically advanced, connected world in history, and yet humanity, all 8 billion of us, are more exhausted, more mistrusting, more angry, and more hurt than ever before. We now use words like trauma for anything and everything. If you go to McDonald's and they don't have your McChicken, you were traumatized. Trauma used to be a word reserved for some serious trouble. But we're so fragile now that if I got to wait for five minutes at the line at Tim Hortons and they give me coffee instead of tea, my day is ruined. And we, I know we laugh, but when was the last time you watched a news broadcast in which someone didn't go into a place of business or a mall or a school or a church with a gun and open fire? It's because the world can't offer you what only God can. We live in a world where we think the worst of everyone we assume the worst of everyone, all the while demanding that everyone else think the best of us. We demand that we all get the breaks while offering none to anybody else. And now we hide behind our feelings, we hide behind our identities, or we hide behind our screens and keyboards. We have access to more humanity than ever before, and yet we hide and avoid humanity now more than ever before. And I want you to know that Jesus prayed and praised, Father, don't take them out of the world, but rather protect them in it. We are kept from the evil one by the actions and the prayers of the righteous one. So let me ask you something. How many of you here this morning believe that Jesus Christ was fully human and fully divine? Put your hand up. If you know what that means, all right? So look around. A lot of the hands are going up. You believe that Jesus was fully human and fully divine. All right, now, we would submit, those of you that put your hands up, that you have to believe that in order to be saved, that it's one of the cardinal doctrines of the Bible and the church, right? You've got to believe it if you're going to truly be saved. If you don't believe that Jesus was both fully human and fully divine, then you don't have a God. You don't have a Savior, so if we can believe that, let me ask us then, why can't we believe that the Bible is fully human written through human authors and yet completely God's word without error? Why can't the written word be the same as the living word? And if you can't believe in the written word being that way, then I can't believe you believe in Jesus being fully human and fully divine. I'm pretty sure if you sell out the Bible, you're going to sell out Jesus. And that's what we're seeing throughout our country. That's just fact. If you give away the Bible, you give away Jesus. And so Psalm 119 is 176 verses of loving, resting, delighting, trusting, meditating on, memorizing God's word. Why? Because we are saints, holy, set apart. We know and trust God's word, which means, number two, saints know and trust God's agenda. So it's not only that we know his word, we know his agenda. Someone was written, the reason many progressive Christians are practicing another religion is that while they profess Jesus, they refuse to turn to him on his terms. 
Too many of us like the benefits of the gospel, love, grace, forgiveness, but not the requirements of the gospel, repentance, discipleship, and faithfulness. You and I will understand the whole concept of in the world but not of the world when we spend time with Christ in prayer and in his word. Calvary, we're called to be different from the world. It's not a list of do's and don'ts. It's rather a being like Christ. Where the world makes a priority of fame and prosperity and comfort and power and control, we have 8 billion examples in real time of how that does not work. But Jesus calls us to be like him, humble and patient and kind and gentle. Whether it's the Beatitudes of Matthew 5, those who mourn will be comforted, those who are patient, or the fruit of the Spirit of Galatians 5, or what about the very definition of love in 1 Corinthians 13? Love believes all things, hopes all things, bears all things. We, as his saints, are called to love and live the agenda of Christ. Remember what Paul said? He said, I know this, I have come to preach Christ and him crucified. Do you remember what Peter said to a, a, a beggar beside the, the temple? Silver and gold have I none, but what I have I give you, Jesus Christ. So this means in a modern world that Calvary Baptist Church, we are to be kind and giving and sacrificial, but we also know we can't save this planet. Poverty, environmental strategy, social justice plans. You and I are never going to stop hunger. We're never going to create anything close to utopia here. We preach Jesus Christ and his gospel. And we, we do, we preview grace in how we treat people and God's creation. We speak out and live for love for all humanity from conception to death. We share and we give. We love and we help. But we know the agenda is always Mark 8. When Jesus said, and calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said, if anyone would come after me, ready for this, let him or her deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. And why did he say this? For what does it profit a man or woman if they gain the whole world but forfeit their soul? For what can a man or woman give in return for their soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed. So you and I are called to be examples, but the gospel is our priority. So we'll not only trust God's word, we'll not only trust God's agenda, but finally, we'll trust God's methods. We'll trust God's methods. One of my favorite guys to read lately is an evangelist by the name of Shane Pruitt, and he writes this this week. He says, when the church is mainly watered down to having good experiences, then we can't be surprised when people walk away once they have a bad one. John Frame, the theologian, says, grudging obedience is not what God desires of us. It may be better than no obedience at all, but it is seriously defective. We should seek to not only obey God, but also delight in obeying him. That delight comes from prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, through immersion in the words of scripture and the hearts of the great saints of redemptive history, and through the fellowship of the church in word and in communion. The world has an agenda along with its methods. If you're reading Joshua, our book of the month this month, and we're up to chapter 13 now today, you've seen it everywhere. Do you know how the world's operation is, what its agenda is? Opposition, deception, temptation, or anxiety or apathy. 
So if you and I are going to live as Christians, you will face opposition or you'll face deception or you'll face temptation. But what is it that those methods can do to us? You need to realize, church, that if we try to say, I claim Jesus, but I don't follow him, when you and I face these things, here's what happens in the church. Self-righteousness, selfishness, laziness, cockiness, or ignorance. J.C. Ryle says, there was a common worldly kind of Christianity in this day, which many have. They think they have enough, a cheap Christianity, which offends nobody and requires no sacrifice, which costs nothing and is worth nothing. My pastor friend, Brett Landry, wrote this week, I'm regularly confused by people who are on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram who claim to be Bible experts and are then shocked that their Christian beliefs are antagonistically rejected by people who are not Christians. We are called to reach the lost while loving them and being willing to care for them. We are called to be reviled and not to seek vengeance. We're called to be compassionate while also calling folks to Jesus Christ and heart change. We're called to come to Jesus as we are, but to expect Jesus to change the way we are. We're invited to accept all the while telling folks to confess and repent. We're called to proclaim and witness and testify, knowing that we're going to be rejected and scorned and misunderstood. We're called to forgive and seek reconciliation, but we're called to speak that truth in love and patiently confront and correct each other. We're called to get in the mess and go into the mess of the world and yet not become messed up. Rather, to point folks to Jesus Christ. So do we come out from among them, but we also go to them and live among them. And it's not based on pride or self-righteousness, but rather on love and transformation. And so, friends, what are we going to do with verses like this as we head out our separate ways? Well, for starters, let me ask the most obvious question that probably doesn't get asked enough in a church where we all claim to be Christians. Are you reading the Bible and praying each and every day? And if so, why not? And do you know why you read your Bible and pray every day? It's not to earn God's favor. It's not to be better than anyone else. It's not to have power or authority over others. It's not to yell at the world or feel superior to other Christians. We don't read the Bible and pray to earn or gloat or enforce or encroach or belittle. We do it because God loves us and this is how God speaks to us and we speak to him. We're so confused in our churches today. We're so ignorant of not only the word of God, but God himself. We long to know God, and we want God to work and provide and speak and make himself known. But too few of us will actually open up this work, this book, and say with Psalm 119, open my eyes that I can behold wondrous things from your law. We don't pray to God, and I mean really pray. Oh, we go to God with our grocery lists of requests. We give him our demands. But when was the last time we cried out to God? We were honest before God. We allowed our emotions and our questions and our hurts and our confusion, our confession and our turmoil to be laid at the feet of the cross before the throne of grace. Jesus is Savior and Lord. And you know what that means? He's both willing and able. Willing and able to love and forgive and restore and transform and comfort and empower and answer and enlighten and calm you and embolden each and every one of us. This is why we pray and read because we're saints we're holy 
Jesus never prayed to take us out of the world. He never promised we wouldn't suffer in it at the hands of the world. Jesus prayed for us to know God, know his word, know his security, know his unity, be joyful and holy. And so this is what you're allowed to do. We're not saved by our prayers. We're not even saved by our brokenness of spirit. We're saved because Jesus died on a tree. And we've got to trust and rest there. And so when Joshua tells the people of Israel in Joshua chapter 3, consecrate yourselves for the more the Lord will do wonders among you. You know what a believer's identity is in Christ? It means we are saved, we are sealed, we are secure, and we're sanctified and we're sent. Show me a church where the basis of their holiness is their love and understanding and trust of Jesus, not in their list to impress him, and I'll show you a church made up of saints, trusting God's word, knowing God's agenda, and practicing God's methods. Again, Shane Pruitt says, too many of us have an imaginary Jesus. A lot of people are going to realize that they were never actually worshiping the real Jesus, but rather a fake Jesus formed by their own opinions. But it will be too late, tragically, for many. Make sure that you're worshiping the real Jesus found in the scriptures. You were not created, my friends, to believe in yourself. You were created, created to believe in someone bigger than yourself, and his name is Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is power, and Jesus is love. His death and his resurrection, his ascension means Jesus can and does save. Jesus can and does keep. He can and does forgive. He can and does make us holy. Satan is defeated. Did you know that? He's defeated. We don't have to be defeated anymore. Yes, the world will hate the message. Yes, we'll encounter opposition and deception and temptation and even the invitation to not care. Jesus wants, or sorry, Satan wants, in fact, he needs you and I to believe you're too sinful, too far gone. He wants and needs you to believe that our present comfort is more important than eternity. But Jesus is better at pursuing than you are at running. And Jesus is better at finding than you are at hiding and Jesus is better at forgiving than you are at messing up and Jesus is better at saving than you are at sinning why because Jesus is better so first and foremost do you know Jesus but Christians Christ's words here are not a magical formula don't forget the prayer of Jesus and don't let the pain of the world's temporary rejection cause you to work for acceptance while forgetting you've been eternally united to Christ. Revive us again and let us trust God's word, trust in his agenda, and trust in his methods. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the power of your word. Oh God, in all my heart, I would ask that these people will have heard a better sermon than I could preach. Lord, there's so much more that could be said. How do you exhaust an infinite God? But Lord, as we sing these closing songs, as we get ready to go into another week where every man and woman here is going to be tempted by the world, going to face opposition, going to be confronted with the lies and deception of live for yourself, going to face the temptation to comfort and control and significance. Oh, Father God, help us to find our value and our identity in you. 
Don't let any man or woman leave here that needs prayer or needs to come and ask questions or needs to find forgiveness or strength or help or have questions answered. Revive your church, Lord. Give us a, a love and a passion for the Bible, not as an encyclopedia, but as the very words of God. Give us a passion for prayer. Give us a passion to know you. And let us be holy because we are saints. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. amen.